Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. A little congestion, but that's okay. It's not going to stop me from giving you a great double feature today. We're talking to Chris Moreno and Ben Blacker. Now, Chris Moreno, a longtime Word Balloon guest. Really happy to have him back. Uh, He is here to talk about the comic book story of professional wrestling, a hardcore, high-flying, no-holds-barred history of the one true sport. Aubrey Sitterson, our buddy who's been on before, and uh, Chris have co-written this book, and it's beautiful, it's hilarious, and it really does exactly what I was hoping for and really goes back and gives you a true history of professional wrestling from its barnstorming days to today's innovations with streaming video, Wrestling is fascinating as a business, as a sport, as a pop culture thing, a touchstone for every era. Think about it, man. Wrestling has been there with us prior to multimedia really connecting us all as a country, you know, in the various territories. Hell, as a circus or carnival event. And uh, really, this is a great book that covers it all, all the way up to today's Modern Champions. Great opportunity to talk to Chris about the history of wrestling and just catch up because again he's an old word balloon guy we go way back and as i say back when i was doing my interviews at conventions chris was one of my go-to guys so it's great to have him back with a new book and a new conversation that's part one of word balloon then we're talking to ben blacker that's right ben blacker of the writers panel an excellent podcast that i've been a huge fan of all these many years also a co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a great live stage show, a podcast, a film, it, uh, you know, in the traditions of, uh, as I say, the Firesign Theater, the committee, the credibility gap. That's what Ben represents and a fine comic book writer as well. Uh, he's done great work on uh, Wolverine Year One, Flash Gordon runs and uh, things like that. He is at Vertigo with a creator-owned book, first time without Ben Acker, his co-writer, that's Hex Wives from Vertigo. So it's great to talk to Ben about Hex Wives and a little bit about the writer's panel and certainly the thrilling adventure hour, which is also back in comic book form at Boom. Great opportunity to talk to Ben. So uh, that's in part two. We also kind of uh, congratulate each other and talk podcast shop. Can't help it. Uh, I respect uh, Ben as both a podcaster and as a, a writer-creator. So it's uh, tremendous to uh, just get uh, a chance to open the hood and check under the edge and see how things are going podcast-wise. So part two of the conversation, a great talk with Ben Blacker, Chris Moreno, and Ben Blacker on today's Word Balloon. This episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics, shaking things up at your local comic shop right now with its series, like Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour, Baby Teeth with Donnie Cates and Gary Brown, A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Goran Suzuka, as well as new titles like Hot Lunch Special by Elliot Royale and Jorge Fornes, Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair, and Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes of these books to order at AfterShockComics.com. 
Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for the support. We're coming to the end of the month. If you like what you hear on Word Balloon, are you willing to subscribe? Is it worth a dollar a month? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? I'll tell you, the subscribers to Word Balloon help me out uh, getting me to conventions, helping me meet people and uh, make new connections for great programming, and helping me expand the Word Balloon Network. I would love this to be a full-time pursuit. It would only mean that I'd give you more of Word Balloon each month. So, uh, again, if you're able to and uh, wa- appreciate uh, what I'm trying to do here, and hopefully it adds to your uh, comic book loving and pop culture loving experience, subscribe to Word Balloon at Patreon at patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. That will take you to my Patreon page. But thank you very much. New subscribers this month. I can't thank you. Uh, and uh, also the old guard as well. So thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. All right. Without further ado, let's get into our two conversations. First up, Chris Moreno. Very excited to be talking about uh, this new book from 10 Speed Publishing, and that is The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling by Aubrey Sitterson and our guest today, Chris Moreno on Word Balloon. I am thrilled to welcome Chris Moreno back to Word Balloon. It's been a really long time, and you've been one of my years, many years. A dog's age, yes. Literally, it could very well be a dog's age, Chris. It might have been 2010 (laughs) or something, or earlier. I don't know, man. Because I know a lot of times, too, you'd be one of my go-to guys when I was still doing, you know, convention interviews. And I stopped doing that because everybody does that. Oh, yeah. Frankly. Yeah. And and also, I'm thrilled that, you know, we'll have a nice lengthy conversation now as opposed to 10 minutes on the con floor. So, you know, so welcome back, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me back. Are you kidding me? This is a, a fantastic book, and uh, congrats to you and Aubrey for what you did, because um, I had Aubrey on a few months ago, and I can't remember what the book was. Maybe it was a year or two ago, even. Okay. But, was it the other book? Was it worth the one that the one that we had done for Roddenberry, or was it for G.I. No, Joe? No, no. It was, it was a G.I. Joe theme. Maybe it was the G.I. Joe crossover with... Street Fighter? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was G.I. Joe versus Street Fighter, exactly. And Aubrey's like, hey, man, you know, I do a wrestling podcast if you ever want to come on. And I said, well, I'll be honest. Really, what interests me most about wrestling is the history of wrestling. And he goes, right. oh, you know, I really do kind of a raw review. And I'm, I, don't get me wrong, because obviously we're talking about this because I really do respect the sport and its various iterations. But it's kind of like what I think... Some people say about comic books where they get dissatisfied with DC and Marvel. And my feeling is it's okay. You, you grew out of it. And not that anyone who still watches it, 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 you know, has a lack of maturity. It's just the trick still works for them. The joy yeah. is still there watching wrestling. We all know it's scripted. We all know it's uh, it follows a formula. And it's okay to say, all right, you know, that's enough for me. And, and honestly, I, I want to talk to you not only about the history, but... Are, yeah. are you still an active uh, viewer? I, you know, it, it it's funny too because I I think also one of the things this book does, um, you know, beyond just, you know, because I think I think the what you just outlined in terms of the way some people are thinking about wrestling, maybe they they loved it and they sort of fell out of it. Yeah. Um. I, I think I think additionally, you know, for people coming to this book, if they if they've always wanted to get into it and felt like there's too much. 
there's too much to learn or too much to unpack because I feel like that's also another argument that people I have about comic books much, too, exactly right? much like you comics know? absolutely man. where yeah. do I where do I start you know and yes. I, I think I, I think it's it's a similar thing for for this book too is you know something that that is sort of comprehensive that that you know we're giving you the sort of the cliff notes version of it sure. I mean Aubrey went on a deeper dive you know in the research of this book but you know basically to just sort of give the the sort of choice cuts um but yeah i mean i i think for me i i mean i i've always loved wrestling since i was like a little kid sure you know i i, I even de- i dedicated the book to my dad because you know me and my brother were the flying moreno brothers in the backyard you know <laughs> wrestling my dad and my uncles and stuff uh you know that that was the i mean you know many a, a weekend was spent jumping off the the couch uh, and you know landing on my dad hilarious uh, so you know it, it was a big part of our childhood growing up i i, I sure. think it was always sort of present and I, I think that's sort of the way it's still been for me is like you know i'm not up on everything uh, you know um but at the same time it's always sort of been around mm-hmm. um i mean i i grew up in new jersey you know, when I was going to high school and, uh, that was when like ECW was sort of like in its heyday, you know? Okay. Uh, sure. so we, you know, we were passing around the tapes and, you know, Philly was so close by, um, you know, uh, th- there was always some sort of touchdown and also like, you know, me and my friends were of the generation where wrestling existed in video games. Absolutely. Um, you know, wrestlers were making cameos and movies and TV shows, yeah, you know, hell yeah. Um, so it was, it was always sort of like a big part, uh, of our lives growing up. Uh, for me, it was sort of, uh, Aubrey was sort of like bringing me back into it in a lot of ways, because even before we did this book, like, you know, I'd, I'd listen to this podcast and then he would hit me to stuff that was going on. He, he brought me out to a taping at Lucha Underground. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. Seriously. I love that is a great uh, recent development is the El Rey show, Lucha Underground. I think that's a fantastic show. Yeah, it's super fun. And it's really unlike – I mean it's not like a, like a, you know, like a WWE type show no. or anything like that. Um, but, man, what a great uh, what a great scene. I think we, you can find us uh, – because they've put it up on Netflix. You can find us – I think it's episode 22 of season one. Oh, if awesome. you look in the front row <laughs> – if you look in the front row – uh, right near the wrestler's entrance, there's there's Aubrey sufficiently selling the excitement and me looking like a wooden mannequin, uh, <laughs> pre- trying my best to sort of pretend. But uh, I really just have this goofy <laughs> grin on my face the entire time. <laughs> That's great, man. But, now, yeah. now, being older than you guys, I remember the pre-WWF years. Um, locally in Chicago, Bob Luce was the promoter, mm-hmm. and our stars were Dick the Bruiser and a guy from Milwaukee called the Crusher, who used to come to the ring with a keg of beer, and he would set it outside the ring in his corner and everything, and then he would celebrate by cracking it open and spraying the crowd with the beer and stuff. Uh, what That's else? The, Val- the Valiant Brothers were a big deal, Johnny Valiant and Jimmy Valiant. And uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooka and Andre the Giant would come through town. I'm sure you saw the recent HBO documentary. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. It was incredible. Absolutely, yeah. man. So, yeah. I mean, I was kind of aware in the 70s. In, and, again, in that period right before 
you know, uh, the WWF and the AWA really became the t- the two leagues, and yeah. you you know ultimately having Hogan and Flair as your champions and everything. And oh yeah, and I remember in, you know God, uh, I mean just the audacity, and I know it's covered in the book and stuff when NBC would you know the weeks that Saturday Night Live wasn't on, they would have WWF cards. Yeah, and it just—I mean, God—the explosion in the '80s was just such an amazing thing to see. And I, I was in college at that time, so it was—it was really fun to still, you know, I, it made me come back to the sport for a while. And I yeah. stuck with it till like the early '90s, and then, like I said, you know, I was like, all right, you know, I've—I've I've enjoyed this. This is fun. They've obviously evolved uh, in a theatrical way since since the days I was watching as a kid. Um, and yeah, I'm, I was okay to move on, but I was certainly aware of, you know, Raw's importance and being on Monday nights and God, when it was doing better numbers than Monday night football, I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's been fascinating, uh, as it's been part of television's evolution as well to the point now, even of, uh, you know, streaming and that, you know, you really, yep. you know, the best way to enjoy wrestling is to buy the WWF's, you know, streaming package and stuff. And you get yep. everything, and you know, yeah, it's cool. And you know, it's funny. Boxing has been following suit. It's it's been very interesting watching the parallels and the differences between boxing and wrestling as well. But yeah, no, I I love that this book covers the very very beginnings. I mean, I I was wondering if it was going to start with you know how far back you guys were going to go, and you guys tell yeah. you guys go back pre media really or pre you know well it really is pre media yeah. as far as wrestling is concerned when it was really well, we go a, back uh, yeah. we go back prehistory well I there's mean, so, uh, yes you know, there's certainly the we, yes there's the ancients uh, the cavemen <laughs> and the Greeks uh, doing their yeah. form of wrestling certainly sure I mean I, I that was probably one of my favorite pages to start was just <laughs> you know trying like Gilgamesh and uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> Uh, Kudalun and like all these, uh, you know, ancient figures. And then, and then I, I love that Aubrey sort of gave that last panel, uh, at the bottom of that page where it's just like some sort of like historical Royal Rumble where it's like all these different ancient <laughs> beings fighting each other. Uh, you know, like I, I, that's, that's the kind of thing that I, I, I thought was super fun about the book is we're not just doing like a dry, you know, uh, historical documentation you know the, the fact that that we both went into it wanting to have a little fun with it and um you know i, I i've mentioned it before a few other places but you know a, a lot of the big inspirations for me you know for the for the style of the book came from uh primarily uh will eisner's ps magazine Excellent. the uh the uh technical manuals that he, he helped create for the army um sure. yeah and uh, and a lot of those Paradox Press uh, big book of absolutely series. yes indeed um, you know I, I thought those were really great I've I've, had, I've always had a soft spot for nonfiction comics um, and using comics to sort of like uh, you know heighten uh, the information that you're you're um, conveying and so like I you know. Aubrey and I talked a lot about it before we started about sort of like how we wanted to present the, the material. And, you know, that was, those were like the sort of forefront, you know, pieces in my mind. PS Magazine primarily just because I really loved the sort of, uh, sort of flights of fancy that the, 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 the articles would take. So, yes. you know, like if it was like a cracked engine block, it would be like, it would have like a sad face on it, you know, with the headlights <laughs> and, have like a hot water bottle on its head and i was just like you know there's a reason why they chose to do that to to sort of 
uh, try and present what would normally be dry technical information to people of varying reading levels. And, um, but you know, beyond that, I mean, it's, it's, it's not necessarily used that, that those kind of cartoon techniques aren't necessarily used to pander to the audience. And instead it's just like, you know, it's, it's the delivery system for it. You know, it's the, sure. it's the capsule, it's a capsule that the, that the, the medicines delivered the vitamins. Absolutely. And it's no, and it's come on, man, wrestling is fun. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I've learned uh, through my years of sports radio and uh, interviewing the wrestlers and, and even getting to know some. Bobby Heenan was a nice acquaintance for years, oh. and it was a real pleasure like talking to him and really finding out interesting behind-the-scenes stuff of when he worked for Ted Turner and when he worked for Vince and uh, the differences. And, yeah, it was just great. But also, yeah, it's fun. And and it's that's why it's like you learn also to talk to the wrestlers and not I mean there is that you know knucklehead who steps in and goes all right come on it's fake we all know it's fake and it's like hey calm down it's theater yep. it's yeah. it's 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 entertaining humorous theater as it should yep. be and and that's the big thing about yeah. the book that we're that we're putting forward is that that's that's not in dispute in this book we're coming right out at the front and saying like look it's always been a con. Essentially, yeah. you know what I mean? But it's one that the audience and the people performing are complicit in. Yes. And and that's that's any entertainment. Of I course. mean, like, I don't sit in a movie theater and complain about how none of this stuff is actually <laughs> happening in the theater. Like, you know, people that still want to sort of have the conversation about whether or not wrestling's fake are really missing the point of the idea. Like, you know, you do like like any entertainment, you have to give yourself over to it. Right, someone yes. who doesn't want to be hypnotized cannot be hypnotized. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's that same idea. It's like right. yes, you know, like like that, that. That's pointing out like the weirdest, most inconsequential detail about the whole thing to talk about sort of the the manufactured nature of it. Sure. But what, what we do get into the book though, and what and what's what makes rest, pro wrestling so unique compared to other forms of entertainment is that blending of reality and fiction. Um that doesn't happen anywhere else you know what i mean like the 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 true factual information about the performers uh and you know what's happening on in the ring um it's all blended together you know injuries that are real are played up for dramatics sure you know? absolutely and they're blended yes. with injuries that are fake it's like you know personal details about the people are woven into storylines and it's sort of inextricable. It's 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 like the way you know the the text and the pictures of comics you know are sort of like sewn together. You sort sure. of can't have one without the other, and that's that's the part that makes it so exciting is is sort of giving yourself over to that sort of, to the spectacle of it, and and letting it all it, it's all just sort of you know melts together in the soup. You know? Sure, man. Well, and I, you know, it's it's got ties to, and forgive the loftiness of the comparison, but really like classic Greek theater of this is our hero, and it's the audience's job to recognize this is our hero, cheer for our hero, this is our villain. You know, I mean, the, the heel and and everything in, in, involved in that, and that's why the audience does become part of the show. And it's and as you just said when you were watching Lucha Underground, uh, yeah, you want to, you do want to get into it, and it, that's yeah. great. And really, it is a special kind of performance art that uh, very few other you know things exist like that anymore. And uh, and again, I love. Uh, the evolution of characterization. I, you know, Ali's Ali got a lot of his act from uh, 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 Gorgeous George. 
sure of of the early you know 40s and 50s uh, television wrestling and everything and it's yeah yeah i mean that's and, and like, i mean we cover it in the book i mean oh yeah <laughs> ali fought antonio Inoki. yes you know? he, oh like, yes that's the, yeah. <laughs> it was game recognizing game for sure absolutely and unfortunately uh real injuries suffered uh, in that as well i mean <laughs> ali really messed up his legs fighting yeah. Anoki. I mean, Anoki really did some serious damage. It was a, I remember watching that live, and it was a goofy thing to watch, but uh, Ali did get seriously hurt in that fight, yep. as ridiculous as it was. And then, of course, I remember when Anoki afterwards was in uh, the Bad News Bears uh, movie, uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the sequels. <laughs> so he had a few more minutes of American fame beyond fighting Ali and everything. But even in Chicago... Uh, when Ali lived here, and Chicago was a big wrestling hub, uh, there's great photographs of him fighting Gorilla Monsoon, or at least clowning around with Gorilla Monsoon in the ring mm-hmm. at a fight, and Andre the Giant. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's that's the thing. I, I I feel fortunate living where I did, and I you know oh, I, yeah. I wonder. I'm sure a lot of cities, you know, again these as we learned in the uh, Andre the Giant HBO documentary i mean you know to be a, a successful wrestler in that pre wwf and awa era you had to travel and, oh, yeah. and go and hit all the cities and hit all the towns and everything yeah and i mean we we, we have the map in the book um yep. you know of all the old territories just for that reason is to show that like you know it, it these were like little kingdoms you know yep. and they, they each had their sort of regional heroes and then also yeah everybody was sort of getting loaned out and they were traveling around and um, there is something interesting about that, especially in a sort of pre-internet age. Um, and even, I mean, to some degree, it's, some of those eras are sort of pre-television and stuff too, is that you had that level of anonymity in some ways. Um, the information of like matches and things like that sort of became local and then, and then spread outside was more like, you know, urban legend territory. Sure. Um, and so you were able to sort of spread the information a little differently. And I love the legacies. Uh, you know, you you guys get into the legacy of the Hart family, going back to mm-hmm. you know the grandfather, you know, being such an important staple of uh, beginnings, and and it, you know, a lot of the language of wrestling came from him. Uh, you know, I uh, Latrell, and I forget the modern Latrell, but there was a cowboy Latrell back in the forties that. Uh, uh, you know, got Jack Dempsey's face in, in, in the 40s, like 20 years past Dempsey's prime <laughs> to the point where they had a boxing match. And, yeah. uh, and you know, like pushing like 48-year-old Jack Dempsey beating the hell out of this wrestler. And it was fantastic because oh, yeah. Dempsey could still punch. And, you know, yeah. again, you you know, uh, I'm sure it was probably much more theater than than the fans even, you know, suspected or whatever. But it was just great. And, of course, God, Primo Carnera, after after his boxing career ended, he became a popular wrestler. Joe Lewis was a wrestler in oh, yeah. his post heavyweight championship years. You well, know. we get into it also. I mean, there, you know, especially in the early days, um, you know, like in the '30s and '40s. I mean, there were a lot of you know pro football players sure. uh, that eventually transitioned over. Gene Kinski, yep, um, was one. Uh, you know, it's like that for. It was basically like, you know, for a lot of sports that didn't really have a retirement plan, um, you know, getting into pro wrestling was sort of like uh, the second life. Sure. Uh, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And they, and and I mean, tr- that still carries through to today. I mean, you know, that's true, too. Absolutely. My God. You know, and yeah, I mean, it's been interesting watching uh, the guys like Brock Lenzer too go from wrestling to MMA back to wrestling and stuff. And, uh, 
you know, I, I no, I again, that's why I do have like you know this this fascination of when some sort of crossover happens. Ronda Rousey, obviously, going from MMA to wrestling. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting. The women of wrestling, and I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're enjoying Glow as well as <laughs> I am. Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. Glow's fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely, that was one of my favorite shows. And do you remember th- uh, when? And again, that might have been a little before your time when Jackie Stallone uh, came up with Glow back in the '80s. I'm vaguely like uh, I, I recognize Glow uh, more in hindsight than I did, I think, at the time. Um, just because I, I think I was such a WWF sort of sure. fanatic, and um, and also Glow like wasn't everywhere. Like I don't, I don't remember it really showing in some okay. of the the cities that i lived in um if it did it showed at different times um but uh but i mean we cover female wrestling a a lot more in terms of like japan uh a lot more of the modern um wwe stars and things like that sure um you know there were so many things that we wanted to make sure that we included in the book that you know glow is almost its own phenomenon you know and so uh there's especially with the show out and then um i think netflix also had a documentary come out like right as soon as that first season of glow came out that was yes. about the real uh the real glow sure but well and yeah, I rem- again uh, well and again it's uh you know the the female wrestlers go back to the 50s and stuff too i know oh, yeah. i Fabi remember Chula. when I, that's exactly my point yeah. i was gonna say i really remember fabulous mula mostly as a manager but right. then it was yeah. really fun to discover all these great black and white photos and even some newsreel of, of her in action. And it's like, oh, look at that. Holy cow. She was a wrestler back in the 40s and 50s, too. That's great. Or Fred Blassie. I love oh, that. Yeah. I love that Fred Blassie. I mean, again, knew him as a manager. And, uh, you know, then you see him. He's even on a, a Dick Van Dyke episode. Sure. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. Kind of closer to his, uh, if not his prime, then, then close enough. Sure. Did you ever hear when... Uh, God, and now I'm blanking. Um, Roddy Piper was on, I want to say either like Mark Maron's podcast. He was on somebody's long interview podcast. And he had incredible stories from the 60s and 70s about when he was a kid and just coming in. And, you know, uh, Mr. Fuji and Harold Tanaka, the two two great Asian uh, wrestlers, and their rivalry. And it got really, really ugly. And 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 kind of gross where yeah mr you know harold tanaka was the original he was odd job for people listening that might be yep. james bond fans in uh, goldfinger he's the uh, valet with the uh, razor sharp uh, derby uh but great great big wrestling star both as an olympian and then as a as a pro wrestler and that's been another interesting transition oh yeah it is the is the true olympians iron sheik Yes, it, yeah, I didn't know Iron Sheik was an Olympian. He was, uh, yeah, he was an Iranian um, uh, wrestler. Wow, I didn't realize he yep. represented Iran in the in the Olympics. That's amazing. I don't know if he went full Olympics, but he was he was of that caliber, like an amateur champion, an amateur wrestler champion. Wow, or yep. whatever you know, in Iran qualifies for that. Um, no, I didn't see it in the book because I scanned fast because you sent it to me right before a thing. And honestly, I I love the art and I really. This this is a great companion to Ryan Dunleavy and Fred Van Lente's uh, history comics, like Action Presidents and Action Philosophers and stuff like that. No, it, well, it is. It's like yeah. <laughs> you guys are you guys are providing uh, real information, but you're doing it in a funny, entertaining way, as you say in that sure. Will Eisner PS Magazine sort yeah. of way. And the um, action's already built in. 
I Absolutely. Mean, it, it, My God. A, an, an addition to it. No, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other great thing, of course, is that, that you know, wrestling and comic, comic action blend nicely and stuff. Yeah. Have you worked on any other wrestling comics? I know there's been a lot, especially lately. No, I mean this is this is my first one. I mean, I, I got to say, like, I'm I'm definitely hooked based based off of drawing this. Um, <laughs> you know, it the the thing that's been really fun for me is, uh, you know, drawing these big, muscly, uh, sweaty dudes wailing on each other. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't really gotten to draw you know superhero books proper. I mean, like I've, I've I did most of the work I've done in superheroes has been with Paul Jenkins. You know, right. sidekick. Well, I was going to say, remind people of the title, sidekick. Yeah, Absolutely. and then we did the World War Hulk frontline backups. And yes, stuff. yes. And those were still very sort of spoofy, um, and and you know, most of it was comedy based. So it's like, really, this is probably the closest thing to like a full on proper superhero book that I've <laughs> that I've gotten to draw. You know, because it's it's all these dynamic, you know, scenes of. Uh, big muscle guys beating the tar out of each yeah, other. Yeah, man, flying yeah. action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's got it's got that added element though I, I, of you know getting to sort of cartoon these characters, you know, and and these these figures, and you know, even talking about guys like Freddie Blassie and stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I knew those guys. I knew that guy as a manager primarily, um, but getting to sort of revisit those those figures and sort of draw them in their prime because Blassie shows up a couple times in the book. And, you know, I draw him the sort of the older Blassie when he's when he's repping Hulk Hogan and stuff. Sure. But but getting to actually draw some of these figures, you know, in action, you know, back in the day has sort of been a real treat, too. Absolutely. And Hogan is, is really this fascinating character. And it's interesting now that uh, they're letting him kind of repair his image after his uh, moment of disgrace <laughs> a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yikes. You know, he came, uh, he wrote a book, and he came through uh, Chicago in the late 90s uh, to the sports station that I worked at, and we had him in studio, and before uh, he sat down for the interview, he's like, God, I'm starving. Can we get something to eat? And being Italian, he wanted Italian food. And mm -hmm. luckily, we have great Italian restaurants here in Chicago. We took him to this old-fashioned place called Sabatino's that's been around for like 50 years. It's actually closing this year. And he loved it, and it was right by the radio station. He absolutely loved it. It made him relaxed, and we got to you know have him sit down. And of course, he had these incredible stories. And and yeah, he's just I, again, I understand the 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 fall that he had. And he, uh, um, you know, he is actually one of my favorite parts of the the Andre the Giant doc on agreed. HBO. Who knew he could? He was such an impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the rich little comic. I mean, of uh, wrestling. It's true. Well, that's the guy. He had the same kind of stories when he came in studio about yeah. other wrestlers and, and different parts of his career. And you know, I wanted to know about. Um, he made uh, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees had one of the first real great conceptual videos set to rock music, and it was called Elephant Parts. And it was this one song called Lucy, Ramona, and Sunset Sam. And it was all about their ventures on Ventura Beach. And Hulk Hogan, before he became Hulk Hogan, was Sunset Sam. Oh and it, you, you, you can find the video. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But he was, he was great. He was, he was funny, great performer. When he was on Saturday Night Live with Billy Crystal and Mr. T, funny <laughs> as hell. I mean, that's the thing. And also just seeing the wrestlers since, good Lord, The Rock. I mean, it, I, I was, the last time I was on Sports Talk Radio was about two months ago during the All-Star baseball break. And uh, all of a sudden, they were talking about The Rock's movies. 
And it's like, yeah, the mock, the rock makes a lot of cheese. And this one host is like, I don't know. I'm like, dude, the guy is so charismatic. Oh yeah. And, and certainly we know as superhero fans, he's going to make a tremendous black Adam. Good Lord. <laughs> he would have made a fine captain Marvel. It's kind of a shame that they didn't just let him be Shazam taking nothing away from Zach Levi, but, sure. but, uh, Oh my! Or he would have been a tremendous Namor, you know. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I, I have a feeling he's—they're <laughs> going to give him a superhero thing. They got to give him something. I mean, well, I think he's going to be. Bla- I think it's pretty certain that he's going to be Black Adam. I was it him right. or was it uh, Mark Strong? Oh, you're right. Shame on me. I totally forgot about that. Damn. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think Mark Strong would end up being Black Adam, and that's—and yeah. he's. I get it, but no, he is. Yeah, you you can't deny The Rock. Something will happen with The Rock. And meanwhile, he's making I mean, he's the superhero in all of his oh, movies. Yeah. It's yeah, like everything. He's like he's <laughs> I was thinking about the other day because I mean, I love I mean, I love 80s action movies. I mean, that that sort of like sure. Stallone, Schwarzenegger era. Oh yeah. Um, Jim you know, Cotta, of course. We all, we all know well, your yes. love of Jim Cotta, of course. Of course, of course. But I I, th- I think the Schwarzenegger type, you know, the, like a movie like Commando to me is perfect because yeah. Schwarzenegger is indestructible and he yes. is the sort of like super being. <laughs> and The Rock is the one guy that's keeping the flame alive. You know, it's like it's like him and Jason Statham are like these like untouchable, uh, super badasses. I just watched Rampage actually the other day. And How was it? I was great. I That's love it. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unapologetically just a big monster movie. You know, sure. it's like it's exactly what you want it to be. Well, um, it, well, yeah, and but, exactly but where, where the shot, where the rock he's... is equal to the monsters too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like if it didn't happen, but if he would have just started like just going like fist fighting giant monsters, <laughs> I would have bought it. Like I, I'm not. It's not completely outside the realm for me. Agreed. You know, I, I I appreciated Steve Austin. Didn't quite reach the same peak as The Rock. The best is Cena. I love how Cena has gone from hero to briefly heel, and then while he was heel, hooks up with Judd Apatow and becomes this amazing comedic actor. And oh, yeah. train wrecked and uh, sisters. Every time he's in something, he is so damn funny. Yeah. And I love that about him. And it's like, man, good for you, dude, because – the, I think I think people were getting tired of him as far as wrestling, or at least it felt like that as far as wrestling fans. And it's like, yeah, whatever, Cena, you're not fun anymore. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> they, they, he gets the opportunity to really show his com- comedic chops, and he's he's hilarious. He's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like all of these guys have tremendous uh, guys and gals have tremendous skills. You know, you have to be charismatic. Like, you have to be charismatic in a way that. I don't think most movie stars have to be because you have to be able to turn it on like immediately. You got to be able to sustain it. And, you know, you've got to be able to be whatever it is. You've got to be like, you know, in in the round, essentially. I mean, like yes. uh, there's, there's sort of no letting up on it. So, I mean, I always think that's amazing. I mean, all of my favorite wrestlers growing up were the, you know, I always called them. Uh, I, I just mentioned uh, in another interview that just sort of like the, these sort of sarcastic motor mouth, you know, uh, sure, like 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 uh, like uh, what's his face? We just talked about uh, uh, Piper. Yeah, Piper. I mean, when I was a kid, Piper was my favorite. Oh, um, yeah. Snuka was my favorite just because, you know, you jump off the ropes and, you know, before sure. before we knew anything <laughs> of Japan or Mexico or anything like that, like that was our I mean, we loved that. But for me, like just, you know, when Roddy Piper would come on, that would be 
the time where I would just stop what I was doing and just sort of pull up a seat, you know? It, oh, absolutely. It, Piper's Pit. What oh, he yeah. do his What he do his interviews and stuff. Well, you know, another guy like that for me, and he wasn't very dynamic as a wrestler, but a, but a tremendous talker was Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Bobby, Bobby Heenan was incredible, and he went on the Jerry Lewis telethon once when things were kind of dead and they had the wrestlers out there. And and I can't even remember the other active wrestlers they had, but they had Bobby. And Bobby started cracking wise with Jerry Lewis, and you saw the appreciation on Lewis's face of, yeah. wow, here's somebody I can go back and forth with that yeah. understands comedy. And seriously, I, I Heenan's like one of the proudest moments of my life was I was going, going back and forth with a comedy icon like Jerry Lewis, and yeah. it was funny, and people were genuinely laughing. And it's like, yeah, Bobby. You know, I mean, we had a local, yeah. we had a local TV show where we would uh, have uh, sports celebrities on all the time, and Bobby was on two or three times. Just one of the fastest wits, and that's why it was so heartbreaking too when he oh, yeah. had that that uh, brain cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, because it's just like Ali, where oh, such a glib guy is suddenly trapped in a body that doesn't work, and it was just just heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. yeah, Bobby Bobby at his best, really, just such a sweet guy and a really down to earth funny dude. Loved him yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that was those those were my favorite guys. Sure. Um, Ric Flair, of course, you know, Dusty Rhodes. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, like, you know, the hardest part of this book was the research uh, on a number of levels. One, it was just finding images and reference for some of these guys. Like, sure. you know, especially the turn of the century stuff. Uh, you know, I might have like two blurry JPEGs, you know, to, to <laughs> use uh, to draw from. Um but you know, as I as we move further in time, then then you know the media becomes you know yeah. more plentiful, and then I can find stuff. But um, but the second reason the research was so difficult was just because I would end up falling down these rabbit holes <laughs> where I would spend I would waste two hours just watching old Ric Flair promos, sure, uh, and you know, or I'd get sucked into yeah old Piper interviews or you know uh, things like that and. Um, you know, it 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 was such a like a fun thing to go back to all this stuff and sort of like you know fill in the blanks or see see people that, that I had I maybe only knew a little bit about and sort of learn that little extra bit. But man, getting to watch some of those old promos was like that was that was like my favorite stuff. I can appreciate that. I uh, we mentioned the Andre the Giant uh, documentary on HBO that was so amazing. Uh, Box Brown, of course, did a tremendous. Andre the Giant uh, comic book himself. Um, I wonder if there's interest with uh, you, or I'm sure Aubrey, if he had the time and the ability to do it. I, I you know, again, Roddy Piper passed away a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and much like these comic book greats that we are, you know, obviously losing as time goes on, it would be great to get some of these older guys, you know, to sit down and tell their stories before it's too late. And I'm sure they have in some. Realms, Ric Flair, another tremendous uh, documentary, the Thirty for Thirty series on ESPN, yeah. and I'm glad that Rick got his story out there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I would like to hear from these guys before it's too late. And I don't know if you guys have any interest in beyond this one, uh, sticking in the wrestling world and maybe telling some other true tales. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd never say never on that. I mean, you know, the idea of doing like a Piper book would be pretty amazing. Uh, you know, uh, I'd, only the only. 
Only time will tell on that, I think. Okay. Uh, Aubrey and I, you know, we're always talking about what the next thing is going to be. We really had a great time working together. Um, even from working on Worth, like that was, you know, the first time we, you know, we really got to uh, collaborate and, and we had such a great time on it. And, and you know, Aubrey was approached by 10 Speed to do this book and, and I was one of the first people he called. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I, we don't have any immediate plans to dip back into wrestling. I mean, right now we're still in the middle of promoting this book and, sure. and, and giving this all the, the TLC that we can, you know, Absolutely. continuing to sort of bring this, uh, bring this project to the world, you know? So um, hats off to 10 speed too, by the way, I was, that's a good ESPN, uh, ESPN, ESPN, ESP on your part, uh, because I was about to mention how much I appreciate 10 speed. I think they're a fun publisher, yeah. That uses comics in a very uh, interesting way, and in that a lot of their books are information books with a comic book spin. Yeah, and I, and I love that they do that, and I think they're a fun publisher. And it's yeah, great and, that you know they reached out to Aubrey to do this book. Yeah, and they choose topics that are really fun to do in comics form. You know, it it's it, I think it takes a certain type of comics creator to want to do nonfiction books. Sure, I, I don't think it's for everybody, and and I know. You know, some artists probably, you know, wouldn't necessarily find it that interesting to, to take on some of these things. Like, you know, they did the comic book story of beer and yes, uh, comic book story of baseball, video games, um, and uh, you know. But I think the thing that I've always liked about comics, and I've always tried to do with the books that I've done, is identify what the audience is outside of the comics audience. Um, you know, the average folk, you know, who, who have, you know, interests that aren't necessarily superheroes and sure. uh, things like that and sort of finding that way to sort of say like, well, comics is all these things and um, or, or at the very least, like, you know, um, you know, here's a different way to sort of learn about something that isn't, you know, necessarily just, you know, a prose book or something. Yeah, the dry facts. Well, again, back to the Eisner PS Magazine uh, model. No, I agree, man. And also, it's these kinds of books that are going to be in a school library that are going to hit the right kid. And all of a sudden, like you said, it's going to it's going to inform and entertain them in a way that they didn't expect. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, because these were the kind of books that I was excited about uh, when I would see them in my school library mm-hmm. and stuff as a kid. Yeah, so, I mean, it, this is the kind of book that if I was, if, if I was the, you know, it, a kid at the library. And I, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time at my local public library, which um, I'm not bragging. It's just <laughs> I had to have something to do after school, you know, sure. Uh, before my mom got off work. So, but uh, yeah, I'd make a beeline for anything that was graphic novel related, you know, anything that was comics related. And, but also, you know, I was a weird kid and I liked reading encyclopedias, you know, like, I, used to I would like reading go to the encyclopedia, just grab a random letter. Sure. And, uh, you know, see if I could expand my mind. Uh, no, I dude, I understand. And again, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. And unfortunately, because of the Internet, the encyclopedia has become obsolete. But that was, you know, in a bo- in book form. I mean, that was the information dump of yeah. where you could learn about everything. So I get but I that. Think, but I think it's 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 not just about just getting the information. I think that I think the the idea of curated information. And I, I think that's what I think that's what Aubrey did so well in the writing of this book is that, you know, it's not just about giving like a huge info dump. It's about curating the information. It's sure. about 
you know, coming up with a story that we're trying to tell, or at least, you know, how we're trying to present the information. And I, I think that's something that even, you know, to some degree encyclopedias do, uh, still do very well, even if it is, you know, the, the organization of it is alphabetical. Um, it's, you know, uh, I, th- I think with finding anything online, you're sort of getting inundated with everything, you know, not just factional information, but, you know, some made up stuff, <laughs> um, you know, and it, it could lead you to down some dead ends. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think what 10 speed does so well is just, yeah, these, these sort of really nicely produced, you know, curated, um, you know, graphic novels that are based around a subject of interest. And, um, I, I mean, look, I, I just got some advanced copies in, um, this week and, you know, just even beyond just, you know, 10 speed as a publisher and they're, they're sort of like, you know, um, uh, their mindset, you know, in terms of presenting this this material, it's also just really well done. Like these are these are really well produced books. I think yeah. the quality of the book is pretty fantastic. I mean, um, you know, and and that's definitely like a testament to the people that that worked on the book with us at Ten Speed. Uh, Patrick Barber, who was our editor, um, Chloe Rollins, who was our art director. Um, you know, they really you know, took the time and the care to, to as much as we were, you know, in terms of putting this book together. So, so that's it's, awesome. it's, it's pretty impressive. Absolutely, man. No, it's, it's great. Now it, it comes out October 1st or October 2nd, October 2nd. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then we're doing a, uh, we're doing a big signing October 6th, uh, in Winnetka, uh, California collector's paradise. And, uh, Aubrey and I'll be there. And then, um, also Christopher Daniels, Fresh off of his win against Stephen Amell uh, at All In, he's going to be there. I didn't know he'd be there. Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, yeah. very funny. Chris is a he's a word balloon friend through Art and Franco. Uh, Chris and uh, Chris and Kaz are, uh, and I forget their third partner now. They're part of a trio now. Oh, really? Yeah, because I knew uh, Bad Influence, of course, in their Ring of Honor days, but now they're they're in a trio. But yeah, I love Chris. He's he's hilarious, and he loves comics. Yeah, you know, I've 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 had long conversations with him about his favorite artists, and uh, I I explained to him what Fumetti was because I'm like, oh, it's cool you're doing a Fumetti book. He's like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, oh, you know, that's like kind of the Italian thing of using photographs uh, in comic book form, and so instead of you know comic art, they're staged photographs, but they have the uh, dialogue balloons. And he goes, well, it's very interesting this Fumetti, as you call it. And I said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right, Chris. Uh, yeah. No, he's cool. He's a good dude. Absolutely, man. So that's that's hilarious. And I I know it's funny that Stephen Amell is uh, such a such a wrestling fan as well. And I know to man. the fright, Every, everybody loves it. You know, to I the mean, fright of his uh, producers, though, I can tell you that <laughs> they're they're not too happy that he's so into wrestling. I oh, I'm be sure. Honest. They're yeah. waiting for that ur- injury to happen that's going to screw up their shooting schedule or whatever. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So the book comes out October 2nd. Yep. Order it at your local stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you can order uh, at local stores. I think it's still available for pre-order on Amazon. Okay, excellent. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, man. I wanted to ask you well, in our closing minutes about your Roddenberry project because I'm a Star Trek freak. So tell me about uh, yeah. Tell me about what you're doing with Rod Roddenberry these days. Way oh well, then. I mean, we had done we had done a book. Uh, I guess, gosh, it's been a couple of years now called, uh, called Worth, um, and it was uh, Roddenberry's you know branching out and doing all these different things yeah. um you know they did the documentary uh about uh oh, about nimoy or 
Uh, no, about, I think it was the one about Rod and his relationship with his dad. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that came out a few years be- before. Um, but, I mean, they've been creating a lot of original IP, um, and one of them was this this idea called Worth. Um, I always tell people it's basically – it's like Gran Torino meets The Incredibles. It's like uh, there's this Detro- Detroit's uh, hometown superhero from the 60s, this sort of like <laughs> cool guy named Worth who – has the ability of mechanopathy, like basically he can communicate with machines. Okay, um, but he's not like Magneto. He can't just like you know force a you know uh, a car and and turn it into a wrecking ball or whatever. But basically, he can just sort of c- communicate with the device and get it to sort of do its natural function. But you know, sort of uh, at his control, know, and, basically at his control. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but he's sort of past his prime because uh, he, his abilities. Uh, don't allow him to communicate with computers and electronics. Um, so he, now he's this is sort of like you know uh, cranky old guy living like a hermit's lifestyle uh, in this rundown neighborhood, and uh, he ends up uh, forming a relationship with a, a young kid um, in the neighborhood, and uh, uh, it's sort of how they're they they learn from each other and sort of grow and. Um, it, it's really it's it's really cool because it's it's got like the trappings of a superhero story, but it's also got a lot of heart. Um, and uh, and yeah, they tapped Aubrey to to write it, and um, he put together a really great treatment that I thought was really awesome. And uh, and yeah, we did it as a graphic novel. That's awesome. That's fantastic. What else are you working on now? Uh, I mean, this was basically like a, a year. <laughs> sure. <laughs> out of sure. my life. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of work in animation lately, so I've been art directing and stuff like that. So, uh, that's sort of the day job, but yeah. Anything you can talk about or no? Uh, yeah, I'm working on the new Muppet Babies for Disney Junior. Hey, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. We're getting, going into, uh, that we're getting into the the end of our first season. So. Oh, that's wonderful, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's super fun. Very cool. Excellent. And you're like, I mean, uh, happy with the work and everything? You're, you know, fun, fun series? Yeah. It's a dream come true. You know, Beautiful. Working with the studio. Um, you, you got me excited for a second when you said you had a Winnetka signing. I was hoping it was going to be uh, the Chicago suburb Winnetka, not Winnetka, California. But that's oh, okay. I didn't even know there were. There you there go, were man. Oh yeah. yeah. And actually, there's a great bookstore. There's a really great independent bookstore here that gets a lot of great authors and everything uh-huh. for signings. Yeah. So. I mean, I'd love to come back to Chicago uh, at some point. Um, I think we're probably going to be doing a few more conventions just be- when the book comes out. I've mainly been sticking to local shows. Just you know, travel's sure. pretty expensive. But I hear you, man. But yeah, no, it'd be Excellent. good to see you uh, in the flesh, maybe for more than five seconds. Indeed, my man. I know I didn't make it to San Diego this year. I'm sure you were there in your usual artist alley position. Yeah, uh, that's usually where I see you, and I get to yeah, you know, like we said, have our five minute conversation. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, hey, man, nice going on this book. That's great. Congrats to you and Aubrey. I'm Thanks, happy man. to help promote it. And uh, truly, people uh, need to find this book and enjoy. Uh, is it called The Secret History of Wrestling? It's The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling. Thank you. The Comic Book Story of Professional yeah, the Wrestling. Comic Book Story of is uh, 10 Speeds. Uh, oh, Moniker. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Well, it's an excellent uh, addition to their series, so that's great. Yes, and uh, uh, a fine addition from 10 Speed, uh, written by uh, and co created, I should say, by Aubrey Citizen and Chris Moreno. Yeah, so. we had some tremendous colors uh, on the book, um, uh, and a really great team working on it. Uh, Leno Grady, who was a colorist I worked with on Sidekick, excellent. Uh, yes, teamed up with me again, and then uh, we're also joined by uh, Alan Pasalacqua, 
and uh, Brad Simpson, and then uh, my brother uh, Jay Moreno actually contributed. Oh, awesome! Uh, some colors to the book too. So beautifully drawn, beautifully colored. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Then uh, so. Russ Wooten did uh, did the letters for the book too. And Excellent. Just, it's a it's a real dream team. Well done, dude, and uh, really happy to have you back. Continued success. Oh, thanks, man. Let's not wait years uh, for our next conversation. Hey, sounds good, man. That's Chris Moreno. Once again, the comic book story of professional wrestling comes out October 2nd. Order it for through your local comic book store and uh, support the book. It's a great idea. This episode of Word Balloon is sponsored by Aftershock Comics. I'm sure you've seen Aftershock titles on the racks of your favorite comic shops. A whole slew of fresh concepts and titles that are written and drawn by your favorite creators. Like the spy series Jimmy's Bastards, one of my favorites, from Garth Ennis and Russ Brown. There's Pestilence from fearless Frank Thierry and Oleg Okunev, where the 14th century Black Plague from history is actually the first recorded zombie outbreak. Or the early years of Vlad the Impaler and the Brothers Dracul from our, my buddy Carlin Bunn and Mirko Kolak. Now, these creators came to Aftershock to tell their kind of stories with no forced continuity, no rules, anything goes. Characters can die at the drop of a hat. You name it, a new platform to tell great, fresh concepts. Check out these new titles, too, like the Midwestern Noir Hot Lunch Special by Elliot Real and Jorge Fornes, Beyonders by my buddy Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair, and a new series starring Leonardo da Vinci, his female apprentice Isabel, and their wooden robot Monstro Mechanica from Paul Aller and Chris Evenweiss. I love me some good steampunk. The collected trade is already out this month. In the weeks ahead, you'll be uh, hearing more from Aftershock creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books and how to order them through your local comic shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get back now to our uh, next conversation. It's Ben Blacker, brand new Vertigo book, Hex Wives, part of the Vertigo initiative that's going on, and uh, it's great. It's fantastic. A great first issue. Loving the art, loving the story. And I think uh, Ben's on to something here. Ben, of course, is also uh, the creator of the Writers Panel, where he interviews uh, television showrunners and uh, gets inside on all of our favorite hot shows. Uh, ben has been doing it. And as I say, I think he picked the right time to focus on showrunners. And now more than ever, these uh, TV auteurs are being recognized for their visions and their stories. They are the keepers of story. That's where the interesting stuff comes from. We all love the actors. But as I say in the conversation, and Ben knows, to get to the heart of the story, talk to the writers. Uh, so he does the writers panel. He has another uh, podcast that he mentions as well. But also, he is the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is also back in comic books. Uh, Boom is uh, doing uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. And in a few weeks, we'll be talking to Ben's usual writing partner, Ben Acker, who also co-created the Thrilling Adventure Hour. But uh, Hex Wives from Vertigo is our main focus. Ben is doing this solo. It's kind of exciting. It's his first solo uh, writing project let alone first writing a solo uh, comics project. He and Acker have done Wolverine Year One for Marvel, and they also did um, Flash Gordon recently and a few other great things. Of course, they co-write the uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour comics, but uh, it's pretty neat to uh, see Blacker on his own. And uh, we get into a little podcast talk, but mostly we're here to talk about Hexwives from Vertigo with Ben Blacker on Word Balloon. Ben Blacker, welcome back to Word Balloon. It's great to hear you and uh, glad to have you back. 
Thank you, John. Absolutely, man. It's always a pleasure. Likewise, man. Thank you. And, um, man, you guys are on a roll, both uh, you and uh, Acker <laughs> individually and and uh, collectively. And we're, we're here to talk about your stack of books. But uh, you got a few things going on, among them a new Vertigo title called Hex Wives. Tell us about Hex Wives. Yes. Uh, Hex Wives is part of this Vertigo relaunch, um, which started uh, in September. Uh, we're the second book out of the gate after Border Town, which is an incredible book, which people should check out if they haven't. Absolutely. But Hex Wives is uh, about witches. It's sort of Bewitched meets the Stepford Wives. <laughs> um, it uh, It is illustrated by Mirka Andolfo, who is an incredible artist, and colored by Marissa Louise, who is just like, she's making it look even better than it ought to be. <laughs> Excellent. It is a beautiful book. And it's a great first issue. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh, a witch's a witch's coven meets suburbia, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, you know, I got it. The, the the sort of long version is um, I was watching uh, an episode of Bewitched, and I got to thinking about how crazy it is that Samantha Stevens is this super powerful witch who's married to this ad man, <laughs> and like her mother Andorra is totally right that she is married beneath her. Uh, I'm, I never thought I would be on Agnes Moorhead's side about any, but, but here, here you have it. Um, and I, so I was sort of thinking about that and thinking about like, all right, okay, what if there was, what if she didn't know she was a powerful witch? Um, so the first arc is about her empowerment. It's about her discovering that she is a witch and that her neighbors are uh, form this coven. Um, you know, I'd also been wanting for some time to write something about gender politics, something about men and women and sort of the the ways we treat one another. Understood. And also, I mean, there's a couple things going on here because they're almost like sleeper agent witches, right? Yeah, there's definitely some, some Stepford Wives in there, some Get Out uh, DNA. Sure. Uh, two movies I, I really love. Sure. Um, yeah, this this book is sort of just a it's all of my influences. It's everything I love thrown thrown into this book, um, and hopefully, you know, for something new and interesting and scary and creepy and sexy and and weird, um, you know, something something like that comes out the other side. That's excellent. And um, now we had a previous conversation about this and, and off the record, and and I guess you were saying that. Um, how did this come to Vertigo? Yeah, that's the easiest way, I guess, for you to get into how this happened. Uh, yeah. Um, Acker and I were sort of kicking around looking to do some new comic stuff, and we happened to have a meeting with – it was Jamie Rich at the time, but Mark Doyle was there too. Uh, they were sort of in the middle of the transition to Mark taking over Vertigo and Jamie taking over the Bat Books. Mm-hmm. We went in to talk about just a bunch of things, uh, mostly – uh, you know, stuff characters that they already own uh, and what they were doing with them, either in the black label stuff or in, in miniseries or whatever. Um, and I mentioned, I sort of ran into Jamie later um, and said, Hey, I forgot to mention this idea that I've had. And it was, and I, I like I said, an idea I've been kicking around for a while. Um, I said, I forgot to mention this idea that I had. It could be for one of your characters and i pitched him on a dc character 
and he really like he he caught into it immediately. He dug it immediately, and they sort of the their first note was take it away from make it a creator own thing. Take it away from the DC character, um, and then they fast tracked the book, which was really flattering. Um, I didn't realize they were sort of gearing up for this Vertigo relaunch, and they had already had five of the titles or six of the seven titles, whatever it was. And this was sort of the last piece of the puzzle that they were looking for. Wow. That's fantastic. And also ridiculously flattering that you brought it to them as like a DC universe idea. And they're like, no, make it create your own. Who was, who was the DC character that you were uh, thinking about? It is a character called the mod, Witch, <laughs> which is uh, like a sixties character who Neil Gaiman brought back a couple times. And some of the, Sandman books or the mm-hmm. Dreaming books. Um, and, you know, she's just this sort of horrible old crone who is also super hip. Hilarious. Uh, I think she had something to do with fashion. I'm not sure. You know, I and I and I wondered when we talked about this, too, if she was a – and I'm and i going to look her up as we're talking because I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Um, if she was in a book like Swing with Scooter, which was DC's um, attempt to really kind of clone an Archie kind of – world and atmosphere and everything and then also the other thing when you say that she was an old lady but hip god it almost reminds me of and i can't even remember now bob hope's weird super parody character in the bob hope comics and it was like super hip or something like that was his name and he had (laughs) and he had a curly wig and i don't remember if he was a bob hope nephew that was created for the comics but it was this like weird attempt you know uh in that late 60s period when dc was trying to be mod and you know one of the big innovations was the checkered uh um framing on the books in general they were go-go checks you know yeah. just w- weird crap like that yeah 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 so I'm um, yeah she it. was definitely of that time i don't know i have like i have some of these big like dc encyclopedia books around here but I can't uh, I don't know where they are right now but yeah it was just a character that I stumbled on with the idea just to hang it on uh, hang this idea on because it's very it's a very different idea to uh, what the character actually is which which is it is why they had me just do it as a creator own thing I'm sure <laughs> um, but you know that was it, like you say it was incredibly flattering it's the support that I've had over there um you know, Mark Doyle, since taking over Vertigo, really has a vision for the line. All of the books that they're putting out, uh, starting with Border Town and then through Hexwives and Brian Hill's uh, Up After Me, he has an amazing book called American Carnage. Yeah. Um, and then Zoe Quinn's book comes out, Goddess Mode, is, is in December. And they're all really good. They're all really, like, they look beautiful. They're smart stories. And the thing that has been so striking to me from getting involved from the very beginning is that they all feel like stories that the writers are compelled to tell. They're really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's how I feel about Hexwives, too. That's awesome, man. Now, how? Yeah. Um, first of all, real fast about Mod Witch. So she was in The Unexpected, which was one of DC's classic horror titles. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So it wasn't from that Archie kind of clone world. I was wondering if she was almost like a you know poor man Sabrina or whatever. But no, she was an old lady, and yeah, so that's kind of cool. And yeah, created here. I want to say yeah, yeah. Jack uh, Jack uh, Sparling and Dave Wood. 
So right. that's yeah, pretty crazy, man. And uh, all right, so but back to hex wives. Um, yeah, you know, obviously you, you've cre- you've created this coven of witches, suburbanite witches. <laughs> Um, and I imagine, you know, how do you see the pacing of, of the stories? Are they going to, are you going to start out with a five issue mini? What's, what's the plan to kind of not just, you know, focus on your lead character, but also like, you know, the neighborhood. Yeah. Let me, let me talk about two things. Uh, first is creating the characters was so much fun. Um, because the original idea started with bewitched. I sort of used pop culture, witches as the basis for the characters and then, you know, mash them up with other characters or twisted them or, or said, like, what's the scary version or what's really what's my version of each one who mm-hmm. best fits this world. Uh, so there's sort of a version of Sabrina in there. There's um, a version of, uh, uh, I forget the character's name, but uh, Gabby Sedebe's character from American Horror Story, which is a character I love. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and they're all, you know, they're all very different feeling they're all very different acting they're all very different looking which which i was really excited to work on with mirka because she's an incredible designer and when we started talking about it and she was sending me sketches we both said sort of independent of each other and and our editor molly Mahan told us that we both said this um that we wanted she wanted to design the character so that people would be able to dress up as them uh sure not for cons and so they're all real practical outfits, but with unbelievable witch style. Like it, she's doing an amazing job on this book. Um, so that's the, the fun of the characters. And then as far as the storytelling, um, you know, there's an interesting thing that we sort of stumbled on with all these new Vertigo books, which is that they each have sort of a um, precursor in the previous heyday of Vertigo. Uh, where, you know, Border Town, I think, has a lot in common with Preacher. Um, Brian's book, American Carnage, has a lot in common with 100 Bullets or Scalped, mm-hmm. uh, some of the crime stuff. And it feels to me like the spiritual forefather of Hexwives is Fables. And cool. Yeah, and, and Fables is a book I loved a lot, and I read it, you know, from beginning to end, I couldn't wait for every issue to come out. And part of what I loved about the storytelling of that book was the way um, the way that the story was doled out, by which I say, I mean, he sort of did big six-issue arcs, but he would also do one-off issues, and he would do sure. two or three-issue arcs, and you know, whatever best served that piece of the story. Um, and that's my goal for Hexwives. We are starting with a six-issue arc. Uh, that sort of tells the story of these women discovering that they are witches. Um, but then the next one will probably be three or four issues and then probably another six because uh, it's sort of a bigger story. But, you know, I want to give everything the right amount of time. And then I'm also doing, which I'm really excited about, uh, both because I think it's really cool and to give Mirka, who's going to be the regular artist on the book, a break. We're doing uh, one-off origin issues for each of the witches sure Um, yeah which is it's been a lot of fun to think about and the way i'm approaching those is to um look at some of my favorite horror films uh you know the what a witch is in the mythology of hexwives is a woman who has communed with the devil 
uh, and therefore unlocks her powers. Uh, and so I'm looking at some of my favorite horror films and, and retelling them reframed from the villain's point of view. So the first one we're doing is The Exorcist, where Regan uh, it wanted the demon to possess her. Wow. Because it meant she would get her powers. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's dark. Uh, we're doing another one. I think I mentioned this to you before. I don't know if it'll be the next one or a couple down the line, uh, but to do The Shape of Water meets <laughs> The Swimmer. Do you remember, <laughs> yes. do you remember that movie? No, I remember that pitch to me, absolutely. And yes, a <laughs> great, an amazingly disturbing Burt Lancaster movie of the late 60s based on a John Cheever novel, and then also, of course, Shape of Water. <laughs> Yeah. Equally disturbing, yeah. although I, I love the fact that it won Best Picture. And I, it's so funny to have seen that reaction last year. But, yeah, that's really – that's cool. And certainly, you know, uh, it, it it opens a lot of doors of questions when, when you know both body uh, pieces of work. <laughs> yes, I'm excited for you to get to read this because <laughs> uh, I was just thinking, like, what's what is the weirdest thing? And then – I don't know. I mean, you know the swimmer, so you know some of the iconic stuff from it. Oh my god! Uh, but Incredible really, story. Yes. Yeah, the great story, and the movie is fantastic. And yeah. Like there was just some of the the feel of it that really inspired me for this flashback. But I, like I say, I think that won't be for a couple down the line. And okay. I told um, I told Molly and I told Maggie, the associate editor. Uh, like I'm not, I'm not doing six and done. I'm not doing twelve and done. I'm going to approach this as if I'm doing a hundred, a hundred issues because I have a hundred issues of these I want to do. And you know, if that winds up ending at issue eighteen, then that's fine. But it'll be an incomplete story. I hear you, man. No, and that's that's very ambitious. And it's interesting because I've asked since the runs of Preacher and and Hundred Bullets and. Um, yeah, you know, scalped and things like that. Where, where the readership, well, the people like uh, Nick Spencer with Morning Glories, or uh, yeah. Tim Seeley and Mike Norton with Revival, and you know, it's like no, that's it's interesting. And I mean, obviously, then yeah, it's a combination of Vertigo believing in the book, but also gathering the audience. Uh, yeah. So I, I hope I hope it works out. I do too, and that's sort of the thing I've become aware of with this book more than anything else that I've done or that Acker and I have done together um, is how important pre-orders are. Sure. Uh, It turns out that'll make or break a book. Totally. Uh, So, yeah, what is the cutoff for for this one? The cutoff is October 1st. Okay, good. Good. Um, So I would urge anyone listening, if they like the sound of Hexwives, go pre-order from your local comic shop, which – I didn't even realize just means calling them up and saying, please hold me a copy. <laughs> well, yeah, like, it is that simple. You're right. And it's good to do that. And it's very funny because even on this episode, I have commercials for Aftershock Comics and we remind everybody, hey, if you need the diamond code, it's right there next to the book and everything to make it easier to order yeah. and stuff. But you're right. Most shops understand that. Oh, yeah, I want that new Garth Ennis book. OK, no problem. You know, right. and and they and they'll do it for you and everything. So it is that simple. Get me that new Ben Blacker book. <laughs> they won't know what that means. <laughs> Who? No, no. Now, is this your first solo? This is. This is the first thing I've written by myself in fifteen years. Wow. Um, Acker and I have been working together. You know, we did Thrilling Adventure Hour. Absolutely. We've written eight pilots together. We've worked on 
Supernatural and other shows together. Yep. Uh, we're working on stuff now, uh, both for TV and film, which I cannot talk about. But at a boy. Um, yeah. This when when this came up, I ran it by Ben, and he was really cool about it and was like, "Listen, I would love, you know, I'm happy to be involved, but." It seems like you got this. It seems like you really want to tell the story and you know how to tell the story. So I'm happy to sit back also if you want me to. And so I was like, you know, it's been 15 years. I should I should try it. Good. Uh, and it was terrifying. It was and I've told the story before, but I'll, I'll say it again that like he he got in touch to check in on me, which was really nice. And said, asked how it was going. I was like, it's great, but it's really hard. And he said, sure, it should be twice as hard. Yeah. When, <laughs> yeah. What I told him was, no, it's like a hundred times as hard. <laughs> like there's just something, you know, we've been working together for so long. We have a shorthand. We, you know, we don't work ideas to death. We sort of know how to bounce it off of each other. And so for that, especially that first issue, when it was just me, pitching the story, never mind writing the script, like it was a lot to think about. It was a lot, it was a lot to take on. Uh, I've been really lucky. I, I do need to say, I mentioned Mirka and I mentioned Marissa, both of whom are unbelievable collaborators. Um, but Molly and Maggie who are editing the book, uh, are really like, they're giving me everything that I usually get from my co-writer. Okay. Like, yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, what kind of and give their full names, please, uh, if you. Uh, Molly Mahan and Maggie sure. Howell. Um, Maggie Howell. Okay. Yeah, Molly Mahan yeah. and Maggie Howell. Very cool. Yeah. Who they they did some of the Young Animal books. Uh, they you know Mark brought he built this team at Vertigo to take everything on, and when they decided to do Hex Wives, I told them I'd really love to have uh, women editors on this book if possible. And Maggie and Molly uh, are absolutely the right people to be doing it. They, uh, Molly has this background in like Greek classics. She knows all this mythology stuff. She's a cool. voracious reader. Uh, they both are and have had so many great ideas that I would not have come up with by myself. Uh, also, I was told early on Molly named the book. Uh, I, had, <laughs> I had another name in mind and they pitched me that and I was like, I don't know. But it is absolutely the best name. <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it explains what it is right away, which I think is great. Well, what, yeah. do you want? Do you want to reveal what yours was? I hadn't landed on anything. Like I had nothing I was happy with. We were sort of toying with like American Witch or something like that. Part of the original pitch was um, not only do the this coven not only do they find out what they are, but they discover there's a rot at the heart of America, and so they go to destroy that rot. Mm. Um, and that's sort of become a more metaphoric rot uh, through the writing of the book. The what they wind up doing is, and I'll I'll give this away because um, it's not a huge reveal. But the the thrust of the book after the first arc is they discover there are other communities of witches that are being held, and so they sort of go from community to community to break them free if they can. Oh wow. So yeah. kind of kind of also a Handmaiden's Tale sort of analogy. Handmaiden's Tale was a big influence on this. Um, there's also a great novel that I read last year called The Red Clock, which sort of flew under the radar, but and, and it has a lot of uh, Handmaid's Tale sort of tropes in it. But I would recommend that to people who like that sort of um, 
gender dystopia. Cool. Uh, is the only way I can think of to describe it, but it's a great book. I can't remember the name of the author right now. So these aren't benign Darrens. They're they're kind of out there purposely keeping these women down. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Sure. It is. I will say. Uh, I was asked a few times. We were doing press at uh, Mirka. Mirka and I got to meet at San Diego, which was awesome. Hey, and that's we, great. Yeah, she was so much fun. We got our little comedy show together uh, because her English is is very good, but she thinks it's not so good. Where's she from? She's from Italy. She's from Northern Italy. Lovely. Excellent. Uh, and she did. People should check out her work. She did some of the DC bombshell stuff. Um, and wow. she did the thing I saw before we brought her on was, um, I think it was the shade, the changing girl annual, uh, or maybe it was the milk worlds, milk wars book. Uh, I think it was Steve the Orlando annual. stuff. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah. But that, that book that she did was so gorgeous and Marissa colored that too. Cool. Um, and so when Molly said, this is a person we'd really like to put on a regular book, do you think she'd be good for it? I was like, could not get her on fast enough. She just knocked me out. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I was sort of asked uh, doing this press, like, do you have sympathy for these guys who are holding these women? And it becomes a complicated question, you know, being a man writing a book like this and trying to be empathetic. Um, my, I'm definitely on the side of the women. And, but you have to, as a writer, have sympathy for the devil, right? No, Absolutely. No, no villain thinks he's the villain. Right. Lex Luthor is the hero of Smallville, if you watch it closely. He's clearly trying to do the right. Michael <laughs> Rosenbaum's uh, Lex Luthor. I think, yeah, absolutely. Well, and when you have someone like that, which which hopefully the, the bad guys in our book are too, <laughs> you know, it becomes both easier and more complicated to write for. You know, I don't want anyone to be able to say he's taking their side, but I do want them to understand where the bad guys are coming from. Because it's very easy to sympathize with the witches because because they're being held. Uh, Later, it's going to become more complicated to sympathize with the witches when their real personalities emerge and we you come to understand. I mean, I gave a copy of the first issue to a friend of mine who's a big comics reader. And he said, one of the things I love about this is these are women who made a choice to commune with the devil. Like they are basically bad. Right. They're basically monsters. Uh, so he said, I love how you get us on their side. Are you going to explore that? And that's the thing I really can't wait to explore. Like they're, they're complicated characters. That's awesome. Well, and uh, now regarding the devil, um, does he take many guys as many forms? I don't want to spoil, <laughs> but you know, he's at best a supporting character. Okay. <laughs> we'll right. see. Uh, it depends who we get to illustrate that first, um, the first flashback issue. And we have a couple names that we're throwing around, which I think people will be excited about. Um, but whatever that person does is, you know, sort of going to be the shape of the devil. I have some ideas, but I love, I love seeing what these artists do. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I think I said early on years ago when we first talked that I discovered that working with an artist on a book is a lot like working with an actor in like when we did thrilling adventure or, you know, you can, you can write the script, you can make it as, as uh, strong as you want or as strong as you can, as polished as you can have it to this place where you think it's perfect. And then a great actor comes in and brings all of this stuff that you didn't know was in there. 
uh, <laughs> or maybe isn't in there, but they're bringing to it and it's making it even better. And that's what the really great artists do. No question. And uh, no, honestly, man, I appreciated the advanced copy you gave me. I think it's terrific. It very much feels like a Vertigo book. And like you said, it is great to see that these new Vertigo books are going back to what always made Vertigo great. And um, they seem to be in uh, good hands, both creatively and editorially as well. Yeah, so for- uh, pretty exciting, man. You know, Eric Esquivel, he's a buddy of mine. And I oh, and I did, but and I bought Border Town, and and no, it's Good. fantastic. And Brian Brian Edward Hill and I have talked about uh, America. What is it again? American American Carnage. American Carnage, absolutely. And we talked about that. Looking forward to that as well. So no, yeah. it's uh, it's a very interesting time, and it's good. I'm glad that Vertigo has uh, you know kind of found its footing in the post Karen Berger world. And there were some flashes here and there. I loved the kitchen, Ollie Masters mm-hmm. and Ming Doyle tremendous crime book that they did um so yeah there's been a couple things but no it seems like yeah now that there really is this good editorial push with a bunch of of really strong ideas and again that are at least genre uh, specific familiar to a, a vertigo awaiting vertigo audience so that's awesome that's great yeah i'm glad you're a part of it and and then i think what doyle is bringing to it and i think this makes a really great lead editor and i think the whole team has this is is a point of view you know, like yep. the Vertigo books had a very specific point of view back in their heyday, but it's a thing that sort of grew organically. And I think what Mark is doing is looking at what that was, but what he's bringing to it is uh, social relevance. He, you know, he wanted books that had something to say. He wanted books um, where the writers, like I said, felt passionate about something and were sort of using the metaphor uh, of crime or supernatural or whatever it is or sci-fi and and telling their story in that way or or getting to talk about an issue in that way i hear you man no and again it's it's an interesting competitive time vertigo really was its own thing for a very very long time and no one could crack the vertigo code and now you've got karen at dark horse you got shelly yeah. bond an excellent editor at idw with black crown and uh i think it's black crown I get that confused with Black Label. Yeah, DC's Black Label, yeah. IDW's Black yeah, Crown. I mean, those and then, uh, you know, book companies like Aftershock and yes. Black Ask are putting out these really Absolutely. incredible – and Image, too, are putting out incredible indie books. Um, so it will be interesting to see where Vertigo fits into that conversation now. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing to me, since I've been able to talk about this book as of, you know, just earlier in the summer – uh, when they were announced is like the Vertigo name still has a lot of cachet with readers, with regular comics readers and non-regular comics readers and retailers, I would imagine as well. Oh, I hope so. And yeah, well, no. And I, yeah, I understand. And actually I was curious if how much um, compared to your other books that have come out from other publishers, how much mm-hmm. are you directly talking to stores? Um. Not as much as I'd like to be. It's just a world that I'm unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hit up Matt Rosenberg because he knows that world. And we sure. talked a little bit about things you can do to reach out to the stores. Um, because, look, that's the lifeblood still of this industry. Uh, and, you know, we want to give them every chance to sell these books, even though I think a lot of people buy digitally. A lot of people wait for trades there's still a, a lot of people who go to the store every week. I mean, I, I did. Wednesday Warriors, I certainly do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So I'm making an effort where uh, Marissa and I are hatching some plots to sort of reach out to stores directly and do what we can. I know we'll both do signings. Uh, I'll do some in here in L.A. She'll do some up in Portland. Uh, and I'm sure Mirka will do some uh, in in uh, Milan. But, yeah, the, the reaching out to retailers and making them aware of this thing and making it worth their while is still something I'm learning. And honestly, if people are listening to this – whether you are retailers or whether you are comics pros, I would love to know what you're doing or what you like done. Um, Cause we want to give Hexwise every chance, you know? Okay. Well, yeah. While we're talking about this, then yeah, feel free. I know we'll do it again at the end of the show, but yeah, tell them how they can reach you. Reach me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. It's just my name. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah, man. There. And then, you know, we'll, we'll take it, we'll take it on to email or something, but um yeah, I'm really curious about what what retails respond to, what works for them, and then what comics pros have found works for them as well. That's excellent, man. Now, really excited about Hex Wives again. Final cutoff um, October first. It comes out on Halloween, correct? Halloween. Nice, yes. excellent, very yeah, cool. Yeah, I want to do some fun thing with the Halloween uh, release date. Uh, maybe just on Instagram. Like, I want to see everybody's <laughs> witch costumes on Halloween. <laughs> Oh, that's a good idea. Sure. Yeah, it'll be fun. Something like that. Very funny. We'll we'll put it out on Twitter. Uh, The the team will put it out, and we'd like to see something. That's excellent, man. Any Bell Bell Book and Candle references? One of my favorite witch movies. No Bell Book and Candle yet, but uh, I do have a character based on Veronica Lake in I Married a Witch. Another fantastic film. Add up, boy. There you go. Way to – I mean, Bell Book and Candle, that's 58. I Married a Witch, that's like – 45 or 47 Fred early 40s Fred Um, Frederick March too right yeah 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 that's right I think he's the guy he's the Darren in that uh, Veronica Lake dynamic that's cool hilarious which is uh, it's I Married a Witch is not a great movie no Uh, there's great great stuff in it and she's (laughs) unbelievable and Frederick March is uh, you know he's fun to watch but he's a good straight man a little slow for like an 80 minute movie (laughs) Agreed, and and it really tries to tap into uh, those classic fantasy films like Topper and yes, you know Flubber and stuff. But you're right; the pacing isn't as you know, forgive the old term, but like Cracker Jack fast, like yeah. I'm sure they said in 1941 or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. It's not like Topper is a much is like the best example of that, uh, yes. where it is very it's very bubbly. It's like you know, it's the thing we tried to do in Thrilling Adventure Hour with Beyond Belief. Uh, you know, sort of a thin man feeling, but with ghosts. There you go. And and was getting to that because you made mention of it earlier. But yeah. uh, it's nice that Thrilling Adventure Hour is back in uh, new print and new stories at Boom. Yeah, Boom was so great about that. Um, you know, we did this run at Image that sort of got waylaid because of Phil Hester's health problems. Yes. And, you know, we, we loved Phil and we wanted to stick with Phil through the book. So we wound up being incredibly late on all of the issues. Um, and Image dropped us because of that, which is totally understandable. They told us early on, if you're late, we're not going to make more. Um, but And unfortunately, Phil got sick and, and couldn't keep on the schedule. But Boom stepped up uh, earlier this year, maybe last year, and said we want to collect those image books. We want to put out new thrilling adventure books. We want to put out new beautiful collections. Uh, and they've been an awesome partner and really supportive of us for years and years now. I mean, Arkea published our first 
um, our first graphic novel. Yes, that's right. Oh my god, and that's before they merged with Boom. Very cool. Yeah, and then yeah, they were sort of talking about the merge as we were publishing, and then uh, Boom, you know, since then has checked in every once in a while. I can't say enough good things about those guys. Is Steve with Arkea still? I don't think so. I don't either. Great guy. Absolutely. No, I yeah. loved – and yeah, again, there's another kind of vertigo like-minded publishing company that you know now has been folded into Boom. And yeah. uh, no, it makes perfect sense. So who is uh, drawing the new stuff? Uh, the new thrilling book is drawn by MJ Erickson, who uh, is a fantastic artist. We actually found her through um, the Visible Women hashtag on Twitter. Okay. Uh, that Kelly Sue DeConnick started, where she yes. hashtag visible women, and then so many women artists, letterers, colors, uh, colorists, sort of put up their stuff, and you know, Acker and I just sort of looked through all that, um, and we loved MJ's work, and so she's done this first four issue arc of Beyond Belief. Um, okay. And yeah, and for for Hexwives, that's a thing we keep going back to. Excellent, man. Who who's uh, who's hacking? Who's coughing? Sorry. That's okay. That's my dog. Hang on. I was going to say, I thought it was the dog. Oh, that's okay. We're dog friendly. Don't worry about it. It's all right. I hear your wife in the background. I'm assuming her, you know, so it's all good. (laughs) This dog is ruining my life. (laughs) Ah, no. It's okay. What's the dog's name? His name is Dennis. Uh, Dennis. We rescued him about two years ago. He's about, he's a 10 year old uh, something. Some mutt. Uh, <laughs> this dog has more health problems. Aww. Like we didn't think he would last the year when we got him, and oh my god, we just started liking him nine months ago. <laughs> <laughs> he is the sweetest animal, but this is insane. And when I tell people this, they're like, "What are you doing?" We give him an inhaler twice a day. <laughs> Oh, no, I know pet owners that had to do that with cats as well, so go on. Yes. It's like you put this Bane mask on his snout, <laughs> and he takes the inhaler. It's insane. Aw, Dennis. Um, Aw, oh, nice. I'm, I'm the Father Flanagan of dogs. There's no such thing as a bad <laughs> dog. It's all right. Yeah. Anyway, I apologize for that. <laughs> Not at all, man. No, are you – seriously, man. Honestly, I love when – the pets invade the podcast interview. <laughs> I have no problem with that. That cracks me up because it's human. That's all right. And that's good. I'm glad. And you're doing a nice thing. Nice rescue dog. It's okay, so Dennis. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking think- to the dog now. Yeah. Poor guy. I'll tell you. I, so I'm a dog person. I've had dogs my whole life. Um, and I genuinely, you know, cats go with witches. <laughs> yes, they do. And I genuinely <laughs> had to get over my own bullshit. About writing a book with cats in it. Okay. And there was, we did a three-page scene about these cats, uh, which are sort of the familiars of one of the witches, and we wound up cutting it out, but I was like, I don't, I don't like, I feel bad about this. I feel like I'm betraying dogs. <laughs> so stupid. That's so awesome. Stupid. Well, and again, Bell Book and Candle, that's your, uh, yeah. she had her uh, familiar. Uh, yeah, cat, yeah. I believe, or something close to that. Oh my God, that's great, man! That's really cool. Well, and I wonder would the would the male hierarchy have dogs as a contrast? <laughs> and you got to have an all an all animal issue, you know? I wouldn't do that to dogs. I understand exactly. Dogs are you see dogs are. Uh, have you read Animosity? 
You know, and shame on me, I haven't yet, and it's, of course, a great Aftershock book, and I love Marguerite's yeah. writing, but I haven't really sat down. You know, I don't know, man. I, I, I appreciate the idea, but a lot of the anamorphic books don't don't re-register with me normally. That's I feel the same way, and I sort of – I came to Animosity – I think somewhere in the first arc after Acker recommended it really highly. And I think I was about to interview Marguerite for the uh, Nerdist Comics panel, which we don't do anymore. Yes. Uh, but uh, so I picked it up to to check out a few issues. And I was so hooked. It is. She takes the concept. Like she uses the whole buffalo is the only way I can think of to say. Excellent. She just explores every facet of the concept. And it feels more like The Walking Dead than like a talking animal book. Like you sometimes you forget these are animals. Uh, the characteriz- characterization is so good. Um, it's really, I recommend people check it out. It's, it was my first Aftershock book. Uh, wow, that's great, man. All in, yeah. That's wonderful. There you, well, here's my middle commercial then for Aftershock. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, Ben's, Ben's true Aftershock confessions that he loves animosity. Well, there you go. Completely unsolicited, uh, listeners. What's that? Tell him to send me some trades. There you go. Hey, man, I can. I think we could make that happen. Actually, uh, no. There, seriously, that's great. And I've slowly tried to get Marguerite interested in being on Word Balloon, and thankfully, <laughs> so many of her DC, mostly brethren, I have to say, it has been her brothers, not her sisters, uh, all stepped up and are like, "Oh no, you should talk to John." So oh. we we finally last uh, the, my last San Diego uh, seventeen. Uh, we've, you know, kind of just, okay, we'll find some time and do it. So yeah, I kind of figured, all right, when that, cause I've been a bombshells fan of hers, but yeah, I yeah. figured when the time would come, then I would kind of make things happen with animosity. So yeah, you, great. I, if you're not hooked, you come back and I'll recommend something else. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you've that's, not a, various... that's not a good promise. No, no, but you've you know, I mean, hey, man, you've written Flash Gordon. You've done you've done books that of of genres and and, and subjects that I that I'm a fan of, and certainly, uh, you know, Thrilling Adventure Hour. Good lord, I uh, you know, again, I I always like to point out being a, a sketch comedy fan, mm-hmm. and especially audio sketch comedy. Um, you know, I I grew up on uh, the credibility g- gap, and I mean they were older albums when I got to them in the early '80s. I'm not that old, but <laughs> but the committee and the credibility gap, and Jesus, uh, the Firesign Theater, to which I've had the pleasure of you know talking to Phil Proctor, one of the founding members, That's a so couple cool. times, and that just blows my mind. And truly, man, you're 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 continu- you guys are continuing in that tradition of really really great audio comedy. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, we're really listen. We we did the show for ten years. We did we really did the show for about twelve years, um, and we're really proud of what we did. Um, we're excited that we had the, got to do the comics, uh, and that people followed us there and and entertained our our indulgences on that. Um, we're gonna have some thrilling adventure hour announcements. I hope soon. That's cool. That's a, much as I can say about it, and for you know the old are the old episodes still on the feed on the podcast feed? The episodes are still up. Um, they're up. They'll be up for a little while longer. We are going to take them down. Though we'll we'll still make probably a quarter of them available. Um, and then this idea actually came from fans who said, "I wish I could get all of the Sparks Nevada stories in order on sure. one, in one feed." Uh, so we're going to do something like that and offer that for sort of a nominal fee. Uh, you know, it's I wouldn't call it a paywall, but 
I guess it's a paywall. <laughs> well, but but also I think these things, and I want you to rattle off some of the great uh, comedians that you've had doing this for people who don't know the thrilling adventure hour. And uh, you know, I'm, there, 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 there might be a few, I think given the fact that you have been such an important part of the podcast world that, you know, we're all kind of, you know, but again, we can't know every podcast that's out there. So yeah, rattle off some of your, uh, your regulars and even like, you know, some of the other like great highlights that you guys have had. on. Yeah. So for people who are unfamiliar, the thrilling adventure hour was a stage show that, we did that was in the style of old time radio where <laughs> actors that you know and love from TV, film, cartoons, comedy uh, would play all sorts of uh, comedy genre pieces. Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars, Beyond Belief, which was our Thin Man with Ghosts. We did a superhero riff. We did uh, a hobo fairy tale. Um, we did a, a, a piece called Amelia Earhart, Fearless Flyer, in which Amelia Earhart faked her death at sea and was a one woman time traveling uh, air force fighting Nazis throughout time. Awesome. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> our regular cast was an incredible group of about a dozen actors, including, but not limited to Paul F. Tompkins, Paget Brewster, um, Janet Varney, Josh Molina, busy Phillips, uh, Mark Evan Jackson, who is, all over your television right now on The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, and Craig Kukowski, uh, just who's on Drunk History. <laughs> uh, just a slew of amazing actors. And then we got these incredible guest stars like Keegan-Michael Key and uh, Nathan Fillion. Uh, Linda Cardellini did like a whole arc with us. Wow. Um, yeah, like we, it was, we had uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Nice. Uh, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski did a show. Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last Jedi, directed several of our shows. Wow, crazy. <laughs> uh, but we've, we've been a fan of Ryan's since his first movie, and we got introduced to him early on, uh, I think around the time of his second movie, and we're like, oh, you're, you're amazing. Come do anything you want with us. Uh, and he was wow. like, oh, I can direct the show. That'd be fun. Uh, so that like we've had these incredible opportunities because of thrilling to work with just the most talented people in L.A. over those 12 years. Uh, and I think the fun that we had getting to do that really is what plays on the podcast. It's what definitely what played in the live show. Understood. And there's the concert film, right? Yes. Yeah, we did get to do. We did a Kickstarter, and we got to do a graphic novel and a, a documentary web series, which is really fun. That's on YouTube, um, and people can sort of see the behind-the-scenes stuff for thrilling. Uh, but we also got to do a concert film, and uh, yeah, Nathan is in it. Um, Kumail Nanjiani is in it. It's a crazy group of people. Clark Gregg is in it. Um, as well as, you know, our regular cast, we do a musical episode of Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, but it really gives a great feel for what the live show was. And people can go to comedyfilmnerds.com. They're, they're carrying all our merch. I've been doing a fun thing. You know, I do this podcast called The Writer's Panel. Indeed, I, I was hoping to talk about that. Go on. Yeah, my my podcast brother. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, how many episodes are you at? Eight hundred and eight. No way. I know. Isn't that awesome? I, I seriously, not. That, I forgive me, man, because I rarely like broadcast that because there's nothing stopping me. It is a lot. Well, I, you know, and again, I started back in 
uh, May of 2005. And actually, don't even count a lot of that first year because it was on a different RSS feed. So really, yeah. this, this feed going up to 808 started in um, September of 06. So I had like about you know 15 months of uh, uh, another feed, and some of those made it into like best of episodes and things like that. Sure. But yeah, no, it's yeah 808. So go on. <laughs> That's incredible. Congratulations! Oh, I didn't thanks, realize buddy. it was that thing. <laughs> 808 episodes. I freaked out about this a minute ago. You won't hear it, listeners. But 808 episodes is an enormous accomplishment. <laughs> so. Congratulations. Well, thanks, That's- Ben. But, you know, you come from television, and unlike TV or films, there's not a rating system that's stopping me. There's not a movie company that's like, we're not putting any more money in this shit, John. Sorry. <laughs> so, really, the only, I mean, it's my own, you know, whims that, <laughs> that have kept me Absolutely, going for but, 14 years. But, but you thank know, you. You know, I've, I've been doing the writer's panel. We just crossed 400. And I think, you know, in that time, I've seen so many people who – earnestly want to do a podcast come and go yes you know they yes. they can't stick with it and i think there's really something to sticking with it and i think i think the other thing is as as easy as it is to record a podcast the thing we do is not that easy there's a Agreed. lot involved there's a lot of work involved um not just in the homework but in booking guests and you know for me that's the the biggest thing is booking guests takes a lot of my energy sure man. um yeah. And, and I do several podcasts. Yes. But, um, but you know, I, th- I think, you know, you, you deserve some appreciation for oh, thanks, doing buddy. this long, this consistently, and it's such a high quality. So, so congrats. Seriously. Well, you're, you're very kind. I, you know, I feel the same way about what you do. And truly, it's great when, and, and forgive us, everybody, but it really is great when you meet another podcaster that's as passionate about what they do and put out a quality product because, the best and worst thing about podcasting is anyone can do it. It's a question of what you do with it that separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. So, you know, um, so yeah. And, and no, so thanks man. And no, I'm always happy to talk shop with you both on the air and off the air. So, but yeah, no, the writer's panel is incredible. And, um, yeah. And also Ben, you, you hit that right sweet spot time when suddenly finally, Writers and showrunners are getting their due as the keepers of story. And, you know, I wonder, and I've yet to talk to him about this, and it's been a while since Kirkman has been on, but I wonder how cognizant he is that that I think he is a big reason why it's happening. I mean, obviously, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. I mean, you can name a dozen shows that have been exceptional TV prior to Walking Dead. But Mm -hmm. I think Kirkman belongs in the team picture. Oh, for sure. I think, you know... That show, along with the ones you name and 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 a handful of others, uh, Mad Men comes to mind. Certainly. Sort of ushered in this era of um, the TV auteur, right? And yes. certainly they existed before. Like Stephen Bochco was oh. a guy who was always on my list of uh, people I wanted to interview. And I'm really I'm so sorry he died. He was fairly young. Yes. Uh, you know, I think he was probably just in his early 60s, if not late 50s. And, you know, I feel like he had he was a guy who had so much to teach about the storytelling and, and storytelling on television specifically. Because he really changed the game. But, yeah, yeah it was David Chase and, and yes. uh, 
Vince Gilligan and yeah, Matthew, uh, Matt Matthew Weiner. Weiner. Yeah, the, Matthew Weiner, certainly. The usual suspects. Um, and and by of, the way, the usual suspects that show up on the writers panel. But go on. Well, and that's that's the thing that was kind of crazy is when I started doing the writers panel. I really started in '09, but I started recording and putting them out in I think 2010 or 2011. And so, were you doing live conversations with these guys before and women? Yeah, I did, I did a handful of live shows um, where I teamed up with A Two Six LA, which was part of the A Two Six Valencia nonprofit organization. Yes, um, and you know they're they're very writing forward, um, and so you know I, I teamed up with them to do to host these panels. So we did a few. I even have recordings from some of those early ones, but. They'd be weird to put out now because nobody's doing what they were doing that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? like everyone's had different careers in the past eight years. That's okay, um, you know. But yeah, when when I started doing these panels, people weren't talking to showrunners yet. Yep, you know, people wanted to talk to actors, but nobody was really talking to showrunners. So I think that's why I got lucky and got access to like Damon Lindelof and Jane Espenson and, yeah. um, you know, friends writers and Buffy writers and all of these people who were changing TV, but it was happening. I think so slowly that no one, we were so in it that nobody was seeing it yet. Um, and it's only when I sort of got, uh, I think Vince Gilligan and Julie Pleck, who was doing vampire diaries at the time. Um, <laughs> And a handful of those names that people started to respond. Liz Merriweather was a big one who she was doing New Girl. And that's when people really started talking about even comedy writers as auteurs, which Agreed. nobody ever talked about before. Yep. Um, even though like we've had so many of them, like MASH was an auteur show, even though they had an amazing writer's room. Mary Tyler Moore was driven by writers as well as Mary. But Absolutely. Um, no, and even it was, back, go back to the 50s and even those anthology shows, and that's where John Frankenheimer, and it was a director, but yeah. Rod Serling and uh, Patty Chayefsky, who did Network, if people don't know the name. Yeah. You know, I mean, so yeah, no, it's, you're right. I mean, literally since the birth of television, there have been these, and certainly, uh, God, I, I got to meet before he passed away, the great t- uh, Twilight Zone and Star Trek writer, and now I'm blanking, the guy who wrote The Man Trap, and he wrote Kick the Can. Oh, God bless it. Oh, I don't know his name. I know the episode. I don't know. But, yeah, he uh, – man, he was an older gentleman. Andy uh, – it's funny. you met, We mentioned Phil Hester, his uh, uh, art partner, Andy Parks, and I. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping the name will come to me as I'm talking about this. He co-wrote uh, Logan's Run, this guy. And Oh, uh, uh, yeah. No, and he was, like, with Charles Boughton and all the guys that Serling gathered for that those original Twilight Zones that he didn't himself write. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll put it I'll put it at the end of the episode. Yeah, good. but Please yeah, do. you know, our point is certainly yes. Tours have always been part of television, and but never got the focus as you said. People want to talk to Shatner about Captain Kirk. They don't want right. to talk to Roddenberry necessarily. Well, Roddenberry's another exception, I guess. <laughs> so, but yeah. Uh, yeah, sort of. I don't know, but anyway, it's you know, I still enjoy doing the podcast. I still learn so much from it. Four hundred episodes in. Um, has it helped your writing? Has do you feel like it's influenced your writing? I think early on, I think you know, for anyone who's interested, for maybe just my immediate family, uh, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to track my career in the television industry, 
go back and listen to the writers panel episodes in order uh, because you can hear the kind of questions I was asking. And it was like, what do you, what do you put in your spec? What does a good spec look like? How do you have a meeting with a showrunner? <laughs> what do you do when you're in the room? Uh, what do you do when you get fired? How do you find the next gig? <laughs> like when you're creating a show, how, you know, how do you take notes, stuff like that. Um, and so I really learned so much just practical stuff, uh, mostly about the business in that way, um, about writing, you know, here and there, much more about pitching and, and sort of formulating a story for someone who will buy your show uh, that, that I found more valuable. And the thing now lately in the past year or so, what I'm finding from the writer's panel is just that I get inspired by it. You know, I, I have so much of my own stuff to write and sure. writing can so often be a drag. <laughs> so sitting down and talking about TV and why we do this and like realizing everybody's journey is different and difficult in their own way. And just bonding over the shared experience of writing TV or even writing comics is really, it's been really inspiring to me. And I can't wait after, you know, knocking out a couple episodes in the studio to come home and work on my own stuff. So that's, it's been great to keep me going. That's excellent, man. And again, uh, podcasting for me has been this outlet to pursue the broadcast opportunities that in the past would come and go. But mm -hmm. again, the great thing is no one can cancel me other than myself. Yeah. So yeah. I've been able to in this, you know, 13 plus years as I'm in my 14th year now. I, I, yeah, it's it's the pleasure of the conversation and knowing that this is going to be something people really want to hear. And I know that's the case, too, with the writers panel. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know. I'm, I'm sure you have experienced this as well, that like. I started having these conversations because I wanted to. There was stuff yes. I was interested in. And the fact that anyone else is interested in it is so flattering and so rewarding. Like, I don't know that I would keep doing it on microphones if anyone else wasn't interested. I would just go have coffee with writers. Sure. <laughs> the fact that people are into it is really exciting. Like, I'm glad that, that we can demystify the process and show, like, making comics is for anyone making tv is for anyone you know you don't have to be conan o'brien or you don't have to be an agent's son to get a job right oh my god yes that's you so funny I, start again i'm sorry buddy i talked over you no no i just just that anybody can do this you know it just takes perseverance and hard work and a little bit of talent Absolutely, man. No, that's funny. And you mentioned Agent's Son, one of my favorite movies, uh, The Big Picture, the Kevin Bacon movie that Christopher Guest made. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. Yes. Yes. And it's so – that, man – okay, there's a good, like, nugget for everybody to look up and order the DVD because that's one of those, as, as Ben well knows, like classic movies that was produced by one studio regime. The next studio regime takes over. It gets buried, uh, barely gets any screen time. And people discovered it first on VHS because it was a pre-DVD. It's the very early 90s, I believe. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a fantastic Christopher Guest film, Kevin Bacon, an all-star cast, so many great character actors. J.T. Walsh and uh, Fran Drescher is really funny in it. And Martin Short is ridiculously funny. And it's all about this uh, film student 
who's finally making his first studio movie and all the mis- that mishaps that happen. And it is great. And it, and it really does, as Ben, I'm sure, knows, you know, plays like anybody who's tried to pitch uh, for broadcasting or film. Uh, they can all relate to being in the room and, and having his, their ideas changed. And I've even experienced it in my limited broadcast uh Big, bigger stage than Chicago, uh, you know, times. So crazy shit. Yeah, it's one of those great movies that gets, even though it's a comedy and even though it can go pretty broad, it gets so much right about yeah. the entertainment <laughs> industry. Absolutely, man. No, that's great. And uh, Agent Sun is kind of like one of the things that the guy's got to deal with while his movies in development hell. The Agent Sun, his career is just going fine and shit like that. It's great. Uh, so oh, yeah, can't, can't yeah. recommend it enough. Big picture, very very Hilarious. funny film. So yeah, man. Hilarious. Well, well, that's all right. So that's great to hear, and I'm really happy that uh, things are going as well with the writers panel, and you know, you have no change of or sense of stopping. Tell me, because I'm I'm interested with meltdown closing, and and again, you being in LA and part of the LA podcast scene, I know that was a really important podcast destination, and you know, have have. Have all the orphans found found a new home, or what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, for the most part, they have. I I left uh, Nerdist earlier this year, um, maybe February or March, just because I was looking for a change. I was looking to sort of reinvigorate the writers panel. Sure. Um, and I had another podcast, like I had podcasts at a couple of different networks, so you know, I knew I sort of knew what I was looking for at that point. Um, yeah, I think most of the uh, and I should say writers panels on the Forever Dog Network now, which is a terrific, pretty new network. They have maybe ten shows, uh, including Rhea Butcher's baseball show, which is great, and a show that <laughs> listeners to this podcast will enjoy called Teen Creeps. Okay, uh, in which two of these two comedians uh, who are hilarious, uh, Kelly Nugent and Lindsay Katai. Uh, they read like R.L. Stein books and, um, um, who's the other guy? Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. And of course you're asking the 50 year old about like uh, teen teen, teen thrillers. (laughs) Christopher Pike, but they read these like eighties teen thrillers and then talk about them. And they're so funny. Uh, it's a really fun show. Teen creeps. I recommend that's excellent. Uh, Check out. And yeah, tell us about yeah, what about your other podcasts? Well, no, go continue about Meltdown, and then I want to hear about your other podcasts. So go ahead. Uh, I think I think most of the new most of the Nerdist podcasts have found new homes. Uh, a lot of them on Earwolf, a couple of them on Max on the Maximum Fun Network. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about this boom is if you have a quality product, there are now plenty of networks that who will sort of take you in and take care of you. Agreed. Yeah. No, I'm finding that myself. I'm. Uh, I'm sure I've mentioned it already on the podcast and stuff, but yeah, Blog Talk Radio, uh, they merged with Spreaker, and that's an interesting platform, and they've got a lot of good shows over there, and I'm, I'm very happy to uh, do that. And yeah, it's funny. I've actually added two new podcasts myself um, and and have a couple other ideas in the bin, again, because it's a great time. And as you say, there's a lot of interested platforms that want to do business, which is terrific. But you know, John... The only thing I care about is sex wives. <laughs> I, this is this is so sadly true. Like I'm writing a pilot, I'm writing a movie with Acker, both those things. We're writing a Marvel comic that comes out in October. We're writing these thrilling comics. The only book I want, the only thing I want to write at all times is Hex Wives. Uh, so passion let's project. Make sure we get this in here. Pre-order. <laughs> 
by October 1st. The number, pre-order number is AUG180482. There you go. AUG, say it again. AUG180482. And it comes out on Halloween. There you go. And again, final cutoff for Hex Wives is October 1st. Am I am I getting the rap sign? Is this what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, you, you're reading it well. <laughs> I gotta go I gotta go give this dog his inhaler. Oh, I understand. Oh, poor Dennis. All right, there you go. There you see we made the circle. There you go. That's good comedy, Ben. Nice going. Very good. At exactly at the expense of your dog's health. All right, well then I won't I won't waste more time. I'm very no, no. happy for you. I, I uh, well, then we should check in in a few months because we didn't get into our usual state of television conversation that we do. I know we should do so. like a year, we should do a year end uh, wrap up. Oh, that's a good idea. There you go. That's a good holiday show instead of Bing Crosby with David Bowie or something. <laughs> there I think you that go. sounds great. That's yeah, great. hey, yeah. that sounds nice. You see, you're Bowie. I'm, I have to be Bing. I'll accept <laughs> those terms. Um, yes, I'm always happy to uh, talk TV. But uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me chat about the book. I, I re- sincerely hope people will check it out. And I even more hope that they like it. Agreed, man. No, seriously. Continued success. Great luck with uh, Hex Wives. Uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour coming back. Your new Marvel book as well. My best to Acker. I'll talk to Acker about the uh, the Marvel book. But yes, uh, help your dog. And it's always a pleasure, Ben. Thanks so much, John. That's Ben Blacker. Check out Hex Wives. You've got until October 1st to pre-order it from your local comic store. It is worth your while. It comes out on Halloween. And uh, I think it's funny and interesting and great art and uh, a great new uh, step forward for Vertigo with this book. Neat stuff from Ben Blacker. I hope you'll agree. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Word Balloon. It was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you again, League, for your support. Via Patreon, uh, I'm going to uh, New York Comic Con, partially on your good graces, and uh, hope to network and uh, get some uh, new uh, conversations fired up. You know, it's always like I'm running for mayor. And I don't know if everyone else out of town feels this way, because I know some people, ah, New York, (laughs) not me, man. I love going to New York, and I'm very happy in my little metropolitan city of Chicago. But, you know, there's nothing like New York. As I, I love going there. I love the energy that I get from the streets. And I, uh, the Comic-Con, I won't deny, is a little uh, frustrating to navigate through. But it's, it's great to see uh, our old creator friends and uh, fans as well and thank them for supporting Word Balloon. But uh, I don't have any panels. I don't have any table. I am literally just running around networking and attending panels that I want to see. Uh, because uh, very much like San Diego, you get one-of-a-kind panels at New York Comic-Con. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, hopefully getting some business done and just enjoying the convention as best as I can and enjoying New York. I love it. So hoping uh, to uh, see you there if you're going to be at New York Comic-Con. But uh, thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. You're helping me keep the equipment going. I had to upgrade a couple times this year with microphones and new equipment. But it's working out, and uh, I'm very excited about that. Uh, your help through Patreon. Patreon.com slash WordBalloon. And WordBalloon.com, you can click on the Patreon ad. I'm actually going to Patreon uh, counseling uh, school. That <laughs> sounds like therapy. But no, I'm uh, getting some more tips from uh, the people that know how to uh, do this right. So I hope to uh, have some new incentives for you to join uh, Word Balloon's uh, Patreon subscribers. But thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. This episode of Word Balloon also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, shaking things up at your local comic shop racks and at their website, Aftershock Comics. 
Amazon.com. Check out some of the great series that they've got going on now. We mentioned it before. Monstro Mechanica, the full trade is available by Paul Aller and Chris Evenweiss. A very neat steampunk story involving Leonardo da Vinci. Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. Animosity from... Marguerite Bennett and Raphael de la Tour. Baby Teeth with Donnie Cates and Gary Brown. A Walk Through Hell by Bar- Garth Ennis and Goran Suzuka. Lots of great stuff. We'll be talking to Lollipop Kids and Rough Riders creator Adam Glass coming up on the next Word Balloon. So I hope you'll join us for that. But really, go to the website, check out the various concepts. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books and more to order through your local comic shop at AfterShotComics.com. Thanks again for listening. Very excited. Uh, Like I said, New York Comic Con, less than two weeks away. More Word Balloon to come before we finish up September. And October is already jam-packed with incredible creators to talk about uh, their books, their thoughts on what's happening in uh, the pop culture. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, the the new TV season is getting underway. Uh, We'll be talking about uh, that and some new streaming shows. Uh, Very excited about uh, things. DC Universe finally getting started. It's underway, as we uh, briefly mentioned. Uh, You know, Titans, the new Titans series, less than two weeks away. I think it's debuting. Well, I'll be at New York Comic Con. So there's a lot to talk about. I hope you'll join me. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.